Welcome everyone to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner. And in today's episode, we are talking heat training. That's right. What is it? What are the benefits of it? And why should trail runners be looking at doing it? And to answer those questions, I've run in two close friends of the podcast. So let's get right into it with my next guests, Isabella Janovic and Jim O'Hara. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. Nice well, to be on again. Thank you yeah, for having me. Welcome back to the, both of you. You guys have both been on the podcast before, so it's nice to see some familiar faces here and and uh, be able to talk heat training with uh, two of my favorite people. One of our favorite subjects, of course. Yeah, right. And I tell you what, what a, what an ironic set of uh, circumstances we've got. Right, we're talking about heat training on a June day in San Diego when it's raining, mm-hmm. right? How often does that happen on, in June? <laughs> so it's, it's kind of weird that we're talking about that on on today. So I thought that was quite an interesting thing when I woke up this morning. I'm like, yeah, this is we're going to be talking about training in 80 and 90 degree weather. And here it is 60 degrees and raining well, all, all over the county. It's probably the only day this, this entire month so far, this far into the month, that's had a day that hasn't been hot too. <laughs> I know, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so yeah, so it makes it for an interesting day, but uh, we'll just pretend that it's 90 degrees outside and we can we can talk it about that way. Um, so I want to get right into it. And I, you know, both of you are, are coaches when it comes to it. And Isabella, you're actually right now in the process of your heat training and yep. you're heat training mm-hmm. for not only baby bad water, but also bad water 135 to be a pacer. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, pacer and crew. Yeah. So that, that I, I love having you on because it's going to kind of add in that current experience of what you're going with right now and, and what, and kind of how you can share your stories of what you're planning for, for those two events, which would be great. And um, Jim, we all know that, you know, you're, one of the top coaches here in San Diego. So uh, it's always great to have you on and, and talk about what you do with your with your runners. So the, I, the, the easiest conversation to, to get this started with is what is heat training or how can heat training be defined? Well, Jisha, I think I think here in, in San Diego, heat training is actually more important for most runners. And one of the, it's a blessing and a curse to live in San Diego or even Southern California because we always train in perfect weather. So it's great. You can train year round. You can get out there when it's warm. It's never too hot. It's never too cold. But the key thing with this conversation, it's never too hot. And if you're going to train for an event that's too hot, you need to do something that prepares you because there's all sorts of things that happen to your body when it does get hot. So training for heat, heat training specifically, just what it sounds like, getting ready for an event that's in the heat and getting your body ready to adapt to that. So is there, when when we're talking about heat training, because obviously we here in San Diego have a just a slight humidity when it comes to our temperature, but uh, you go to the South and it's you know, 100% humidity, you go to Arizona and it's 100% dry. Is there a difference with the heat training and how you should approach it when it comes to the different types of climate? Yeah, there, 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 there definitely is. That's, it's kind of a loaded question to be fair, but. Well, that's the way I like it. The, I like, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the largest way your body dissipates heat is through sweat and the evaporation of it, of that sweat at the, at your skin. Right. Um, and there's effects that happen with, with heat training. I know we'll dive into, but the challenge when you talk about training for an event like Badwater, which is in the desert is, is incredibly dry. If you've ever been in the start or death Valley, it's just 
it you can you can on some days pour water a drop of water out of your bottle and it's dry and gone before it hits the ground versus you're in the south in louisiana and you, you pour that bottle out it'll just keep flowing all day long because it's so humid and there's no evaporation happening so the the catch with that is yeah there is a difference in in the effect that your heat treating would have and how effective it can be for where the race you're going to is um, that said you live in san diego so unless you're going to fly every day to Louisiana to make that specific of an effect, or you're going to go to bad water to make that specific of an effect, you have to train within where you're at and you have to do your heat acclimation and, and adapt your training in a way that allows you to do those heat acclimation uh, workouts. So that brings me to you is like, where are you in your training process right now? Cause you just, you literally just started if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. So um, I always tell my athletes and for me as well, I, I always check out the race. Where's the race happening? What's the, the heat going to be like, or is it going to be raining or cold? Uh, my race in June is actually going to be local here at black mountain, but it is known to get out into the, 90s out there. So when what I try to do, since I have kind of a flexible schedule, I go and do my runs during the week and weekend at the hottest time of the day on the actual course. And I tried to do that like two or three times a week, um, a month up to the race. And when people do 50Ks and ultras, you got to remember, yeah, you may be starting your race at 6.30, 7.30 a.m., but you're not finishing your race until what yeah, time? Exactly. 2 or 3 p.m. So when you go out there and you're doing your training runs at 6 a.m. and they're only four-hour training, runs well then what's happening the rest of the day you know you're going to get slammed with this heat so i always have my athletes um, do a few long runs and not start their training run until 10 a.m or 11 a.m so they can get used to it because like jim said your body changes in the heat uh, your nutrition is going to be different. You're going to want different things. You're going to need more salt and sodium and electrolytes. So all that type of stuff you need to train and practice. So that's kind of what I'm starting now. And as we get into more bad water, um, you know, go more into East County where it's hotter. Um, I'm in San Marcos, but getting out to the East more. And again, the hottest times of the day, I'll be doing short runs in my neighborhood where I'm wearing lots of clothing. Uh, if you're going to be doing this though, there are lots of disclaimers here just because I'm doing something. You start with small little short increments, you know, like 10 minute run, 15 minute run, 20 minute run. Don't go out there and, and do a two hour run fully clothed in the middle of the heat your first time and always bring water and a so cell phone. You, so you don't want to put on, you don't want to put on one of those big old track suits, right? That the... I mean, some people do. I don't. Uh, also do. with, <laughs> I don't, do. I don't know what you do. You don't, but you do, you do to some degree, you, you, you want to make sure. So that tracksuit actually traps humidity. So if you're doing a race where it's hot and humid and you can build up to wearing that tracksuit without mm-hmm. falling apart during a run, it's actually beneficial. If you're going like, again, to bad water, you're going East, like Izzy says out to someplace where it's drier, you know? And I think yeah. there's even a step beyond that. Like if you're doing bad water, you also would, you don't want to go run in the woods. You want to run where it's open. Exactly. Um, you want to get used to the, the adaptation of the sun beating on you while you're hot, because that's heating the skin, which is again, the biggest organ you have to dissipate heat, uh, that sweat and evaporation rate. So yeah, all those things make a huge difference in, in the effect they have on your, on your evaporation rate and your ability to add your body's ability to adapt to that. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think we've touched on it yet, but the the things that happen when you run in the heat that are different than when you run your regular everyday run, your neighborhood, your, your run group, whichever it is, uh, you know, is, is going on. And I think to, to kind of back up just a little bit, you know, defining what heat is. And I think most people probably underestimate what heat is, especially this time of year, 75 to 70 degrees is kind of considered the sweet spot of hot. In other words, where the temperature, once you hit 50, starts to incrementally affect your performance at 75 to 78 degrees Fahrenheit, which which is 
that gets to that temperature fairly frequently in, in Southern California. Uh, once you go beyond that, you start to see that that exponential incremental uh, buildup of uh, adjustment to performance. And so what you're really is trying to do is bring that down to an incremental adjustment still. Um, I think that's important to know because I think most people don't realize what heat necessarily is and how to adjust to it. Um, or how to prepare for it, or you know, they think they have to go sit in a sauna and run at 120 degrees or something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's hot as the event you're going to go for, and or the event you're training for, and uh, or or hotter without it being you know detrimental to the rest of the day. You still have to go home and function. Most of us, so you have to figure out how to do that. Yeah, I've I, never I, done sauna training just because I haven't needed to, but uh, the elite badwater runners, a lot of them do do sauna training. Not all of them depending on where they live. Um, like I know there's a runner who lives in Florida. It's humid every day. So she's totally fine. She doesn't need to do sauna training, but so yeah. everyone's kind of different, but my main concern with my athletes is being mentally prepared for that heat. So when it does hit you on race day, you're like, Hey, okay, I've, I've ran through this before I can handle this. And two, how it affects your nutrition and electrolytes. Again, back to the idea of, of heat training, when you're heat training, you're, there's a lot of adaptations that comes, but obviously you're sweating, going back, I keep going back to the sweating thing. You're gonna be like, stop talking about sweating. No, it's well, Sweating is a big deal it's, with this, It right? is one of the most important Super things, important. right? <laughs> so. um, but as you sweat more, your blood, your blood plasma drops, right? And that blood plasma, what, what heat training does is it increases that overall blood plasma so that you can, you can carry more nutrients to your body, you can do all these different things, but you can regulate that heat. That's the, the most number one effect it has. It helps you regulate heat better. And so, so that aspect of mastering your nutrition is, is huge. And I think, I think within that, it's a little bit of effort of, and it's also a little bit of trial and error. And at times, I think you'll, you'll be able to kind of tell me this one. I think it's really about being willing to go out and make a mistake and even suffer on a run here and there so that you oh, can yeah. get better at it. Definitely. And that's what those long training runs are for, to learn all those mistakes. Like, yeah, oh, it, watermelon sounded good, but I ate too much watermelon. <laughs> and now other yeah. things are happening that I didn't want to happen. <laughs> For sure. Uh, Sounds so back, like personal experience, sir. <laughs> <laughs> or someone I know. <laughs> so I've also had athletes over the years, you're talking about saunas, interestingly enough. One of the things, you know, we've had athletes do, just, just like you're talking about, kind of overdress for the conditions a little bit obviously adjust your performance. But then, you know, one of the things you're trying to do is, is hit the amount of time that you're exposed to the heat. And so heat training is the one time for my athletes where twice a week, you know, that word cool down, we don't get it those days. When you finish the, your, your run, you're warm, you're heat trained, your, your core temperature is up. So now's the time where you throw on a long sleeve shirt and you go in the sauna for a half an hour. Bring lots of water, rehydrate, do all that. And what that does is it gives you that heat training effect where you still have a good solid workout tied to it. You know, cause you're always trying to balance this. And, and Izzy, I think you'll, you'll agree. There are times where if you overdo it in the heat training, you're wasted for a couple of days. Oh yeah, back to that, need that a nap point. that day. I, and none of us want to do that. We all want our speed work the following day or something like that to look really good. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we talk about some of the positive effects of heat training. Like what, what would be like your overall, like top three or top five benefits of heat training? I, I think a lot of it is, um, is from a practical standpoint of view, which you're talking about, you know, mastery of my equipment is a huge one for me. I learned yeah. what gear I can wear, what gear does me absolutely no yeah. good, what's comfortable. I mean, when you're hot, the last thing you want is a backpack that's chafing against your chest in the wrong way or catching your armpit or bouncing around more than you want. You know, all those things, uh, I, I figure out um, 
I, I take a lot of stuff from triathletes, um, especially since they're it's it's. I've found in my research, it's much easier to find information on heat training in the dry, like desert oriented heat than it is the humidity. And so I've looked at triathletes and most of the obviously Ironman Kona, which is very, very hot and humid. And, you know, if you look at the dry, the dry heat training ideas, usually it's to wear something long sleeve relative, not baggy, but loose fitting. Um, and when you look at triathletes in the humidity, they, they, because it's so hard to sweat, or to keep your sweat and evaporation rate up, they actually wear tighter fitting clothes that are not just moisture wicking, but hydrophobic. Um, and, and so it's, but they're all like close fitting. So I've, I kind of play around with all those different things to dial those in. But I think equipment is is such a big part of it that you just, you dial it all in and that part of the formula. That one I think almost becomes... It, it's almost something that takes care of itself. You start to figure that out without even thinking about it. Like it just works. But you know, on the other side of it is, is there is actually, we've talked about the psychological effect that there's a physical effect of it. You know, your, your blood plasma volume, as I touched on earlier, <laughs> increases. That helps you keep your core temperature lower. Um, it helps you lower your skin temperature, um, which is hugely helpful, whether, regardless of whether you're in the sun or, or, the, or the humidity. And, and most effectively, the, the aspect of heat training that, that is really important that touches on performance is your heart rate lowers, your heart rate in the heat lowers. You know, as you, as you exercise, your heart rate's going up and you want your, your output to match what it would be under comfortable conditions and get as close to that as you can because that's where your body is more efficient um, or developed its efficiencies. So if you can heat train, you can bring that, that, that heart rate down closer to that, that baseline level of performance and, tr- and it, your, your, out, your output, your metabolic output will be much more efficient than it would be if you hadn't done that heat training at a higher temperature. So, you know, we've, now that we've talked about benefits and what it is, like how does, how does somebody go ahead and start their their heat training regimen? Like what, what would be like the first couple steps they need to start taking to get into it? And then how Uh, often? Time out here. Okay. Are we talking real world or ideal world? (laughs) (laughs) We we are talking. Again, I have a flexible work schedule, so I'm able to go out at 12, one o'clock whenever I want. Let's assume, let's assume for this conversation, we're talking about somebody who works a regular eight hour day, right? Because that's, a majority of the runners, like an hour day, where, where can they start their process of this? Obviously, if you're working a full-time gig, you know, maybe they've only got an hour at lunch to go out or, you know, if it's later in the summer, five o'clock or whatever could, could work. But what, what would be the starting point for somebody who is in that situation where they can't get away during midday for three or four hours? Well, it's not, it's not as, as big as you, as you might think it would be, you know, it, there's a couple ways to go. One is if your if your event is big, like you're big, it's bad water. You're committing resources and time to it. My my suggestion, especially in Southern California, is take take a take a vacation, take four or five days, and go someplace where it's dry and hot. Hopefully, someplace that you enjoy, but someplace that's dry and hot, <laughs> where you can go on uh, a week of of doing just your normal run routine, but being in that hotter environment. Um, the ideal world, you, you do seven to 10 days in heat. And then after you got back, you continue to do three days a week of training during a hotter time or heat training. Uh, and, and the other runs you have beyond those three days wouldn't, wouldn't include heat training. They would just be normal run. But that's, that's, the, that's the ideal world. But you can kind of, you can simulate that a little bit. If, if your priority race is priority enough, and I know everybody can take time off, but if you could take five days and go out 
to Anza Borrego, say your race is in the spring and you're, you want to go to Anza Borrego in, the, in late February, early March, because it's warm out there and you can do that, then you should do it. It's worth it. I mean, we all invest so much time in our, our training that taking five days to go someplace that's really pretty, but kind of helps us long term is probably worth for everybody. I don't want to speak for everybody in that regard. Like everybody should do that, but, but it definitely has its value. Um, if you can't do that, then yeah, you start off with, you know, three days a week of building up. And I think the biggest thing at that point is, is the day that it says it's going to be hundred degrees out and you've got your run. Don't skip that day. That's going to help you out a lot. Mm-hmm. So, but also listen to your body too, because if you're out there and it's a hundred degrees and you don't have extra stuff, it's okay to go back to your car. That's why I also recommend for if it's a long run and you know they may not have heat train that often and they're out there on a Saturday or Sunday, do some loops around your car. You know, like longer loops. So if you do have an emergency, you're not out in the middle of a trail. You're closer to your car. That can be your aid station. When I worked a corporate job, I did uh, lunch runs in the heat. But not all companies are cool with you coming back sweaty or have showers or stuff. So, you know, it just depends. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's a great point you make is, is like if you're not used to it and you, you're un, you're, you get to that point where you're uncomfortable a couple of miles in, if you're doing loops, it completely helps helps the process out a little bit more, makes it a little bit easier to navigate getting that heat training in because you you can always you can use your car as your aid station i guess mm-hmm. so to speak right and always have a cell phone with you please for emergencies yes you just never know <laughs> <laughs> i know there's you know and then be aware of what the signs are of heat exhaustion which comes before heat stroke too so maybe do some research on that locate the signs you want to make sure your body's sweating once it stops sweating that's bad once you feel nauseous that's bad and if you need to cool down right away if you're like crap I I feel overheated. I always recommend keeping a little cooler with ice in your car with a cold beverage and just ice. And the quickest way to cool down your body is to put ice in your underarms and groin area. And that will cool down your body. I learned that tip from nurse who helped me the first time I got heat exhaustion because I was just like nauseous when I got home. Like it wasn't necessarily on the run. It was after I got home, I was like, whoa, I do not feel good. It was hot today. And my nurse friend told me to do that. And I felt way better within like an hour. That's a great, great advice. You know, be, be prepared to be flexible. And I mean, I, the, especially the idea about advice, I think for women, if you have a sports bra, throwing ice in your sports bra helps as well. Yep. In your um, trucker hat, in your buff. I did. Uh, I, I've done the, the uh, world's toughest marathon in Arizona a few times. And it's one of those, you start off, it's 30 degrees and you finish and it can be up to hundred plus degrees. Most years it's like 85, which is hot, but because of the big swing, but not as bad as when it's a hundred. And uh, I remember running along with a guy and I, I grabbed the ice cup at the aid station and I threw it in my pants and he, I pulled my weight and he looked at me like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, uh, he was so perplexed, uh, but it made, it made a huge difference. I, was, I, I could feel before that, I could feel the, like the, the red heat coming into my face, I could feel my face warming up. And I put that in and I, and I, I really, I felt. I felt my body adjust. I think that's part of the key key to, you know, I think we, we talked about before the different things that happen in, 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 in defining, and I, I, I kind of qualify that as equipment, but learning how to cool your body uh, mm-hmm. as part of this is, is, is an important part of the process. And there are things like you, you may, you may find, and I know people that have throwing ice cubes in your underwear uh, to be pretty uncomfortable, even though it cools chafing you off. could happen. All sorts of things. Yeah. We won't we won't go too far into that. <laughs> but, That's for but, a different but, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Again, trial and error. Practice these things on your long training runs first. <laughs> yeah, I want to bring it back to the 
importance of what to wear um, and what to wear when you train, but also like color of your clothing and what type of clothing you're, you've got on, right? Because you're out there in the heat. I mean, how important is like UV protected clothing versus making sure you've got the right hat? sunglasses like where how does that all factor into it when you're getting ready to get out there and and go do some heat training i don't heat train in my desert get up but i'll race in it <laughs> so i have one of those white desert hats that covers you know your your head it covers your ears um it kind of zips by your chin and it covers your neck and i also have a light colored uv spf i don't know 70 Columbia brand long sleeve loose shirt that I wear during races. I haven't found a good short pair of shorts yet, but Lululemon just came out with a few different pairs of white pair of shorts, but you want the looser clothing, the thin clothing, you want a lighter clothing. You definitely don't want to be wearing all black cotton. Like I've seen, um, I also volunteer at aid stations and I've seen some people what they wear. <laughs> so stay away from <laughs> the dark colors, <laughs> lots of sunscreen. Make sure you're putting on sunscreen during ultras because you know, it does sweat off and that helps a ton. I'd say heat training and heat events, body glide or lube or whatever it is you use becomes even more important than any other time because it, the, the, the weight of the clothes or the dryness of your skin make, make that situation a lot more tenuous for sure. Uh, that, that's definitely a big one. But other side of it, I think as he hit it on the head, you know, you want light colored clothing, uh, stuff that, that wicks moisture. Um, and it's tricky because you, you, you want to wear a long sleeve shirt to keep the sun off you if you're doing something hot, but you also want the air to kind of get through there so that that evaporation of, of sweat happens. And so uh, finding something that does both of those um, can be a number of ways. Sometimes it's it's through something that has holes in the material. Sometimes it's through a water wicking material, but you don't want anything that fits loose, but traps the air under it. Right. So yeah. when you get into like, okay, so that's your starter clothing and you start adding, do you start adding layers into this? I mean, do you, do you start putting on like a, a little bit like a, like a, like a track, like a, not a track jacket, but like a, like a windbreaker jacket and follow that by maybe some kind of pullover sweatshirt style thing. Are you doing that type of add on when, when it comes to your clothing layers or is that something that's a definitely no, no, and you don't want to do that? I'm not trying to boil a lobster when I coach my athletes. Uh, I'm, I'm really just, what I'm trying to do is, is get them to acclimate to a higher temperature than normal. You know, um, you don't go from zero to a hundred. So, so what I, for me, I, I encourage them to overdress, but I don't encourage them to add layers or anything like that. So if it's a day where you don't wear a short sleeve, wear a long sleeve. If it's a day where um, you might wear like a lightweight long sleeve, wear a, a heavier long sleeve. Like I, 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 there's different degrees of, of mm -hmm. outerwear that of weights of outerwear. You know, if it's a, if it's a day where you've got a rain hat, like I, I do have one athlete who I had run in a, a rain hat instead of a, a mesh hat, like the one I'm wearing, because it would trap a little more heat in, in the head. And, and they were running it like when it was 80 degrees. So it wasn't crazy hot, but it was hot enough that that little extra heat actually helped a little bit. I think you, you just, you just twist it up a notch, I think is what I'm really saying here. Yeah. There's a, <laughs> I, I say that cause my thought process goes right to, there's a guy that runs by my house. I don't know, maybe a couple times a week. And I, I live on a uphill climb and he's, he's in that full like sweatsuit. Like, you know, you see like the wrestlers and the, and the boxers and stuff where like he is 
full garb. He's got his beanie on. He's got his hoodie on, his sweatpants. And I mean, this was just yesterday I saw the guy and it was, you know, 75 <laughs> degrees outside yesterday here in San Diego. So I'm like, okay, um, that's, I guess that's what we're doing now. So I, I didn't know if, if that was kind of a norm when it, when we came to clothing for heat training, but apparently that's not. So he must be, uh, <laughs> he must be cooking lobsters. <laughs> Probably, you know, cert- certainly the, the whole point of, of that type of thing was originally with all at least the, the population of weightlifters and, and wrestlers was was weight loss. Yeah. And yeah. they're and they're losing weight through water loss. And you there is there is a benefit to learning how to run under hydrated. Uh, and it does follow into heat acclimation a little bit, but it, it, it would be considered way less than ideal because the the effort to put into recovering, you know, after you run, after you do a heat session workout, whether it's day 50 of every other one or, or the first seven to 10 days in that, that ideal scenario, you still have to hydrate all day. You have to replenish your electrolytes. You want to finish off the day as if you never did a heat training session as far as what you've taken out. And so when you go ahead and you do that heat training and you wear that suit, yeah, there's a little bit more heat training. You trap the humidity, that ability to evaporate, to cool cool the skin temperature, all those things are hindered. So your body has to adapt and address it. We can go to heat shock proteins if you want. There's a whole thing with that, but but your your body is taxed by a much higher stress. And and every study you read about about heat heat training, you'll you'll see the number one thing to do it long term is to make sure that at the end of the line you are back to that baseline with your nutrition, whether it's your just your electrolytes, whether it's just your your hydration levels. You have to be back to that baseline. And and, and when you dig such a, a deep hole as those suits, it's really hard to get back there. And what happens is that that builds up day after day after day, and all of a sudden you're exhausted and overtrained. So I want to talk regimen really quick. And I assume your heat training is going to depend on what type of race you're doing, like like we talked about, whether it's going to be a a very hilly course versus a little bit flatter course. Does a lot of the, like when you're getting into your different styles of training, do you still want to add in, like let's say you're on a flat course, let's say, do you still want to add in a little bit of the hill climbs? Um, just in, in the heat to, to kind of acclimate a little bit more, or is that something that you would just totally negate altogether? So it's a, it's a really good question, actually. Um, when you look at heat training, heat training is an aspect of your training, just like speed work. It's, it's a hill repeats. Um, it's an extra stress you've added to your training. And so you have to offset somewhere. Um, and so you, while you could do Say you have hill repeats scheduled for a day you have heat training. You you would do your normal number, but you probably back off on a few of the reps and then maybe run some on the flat because you want that outcome, that that total stress level to be the same because ident- ideally your, your schedule has been designed so that the, the amount of stress in it, whether that's hill repeats, tempo runs, speed workout, whatever – mileage evens off over the same amount. And so if you do too much speed work at one or too, sorry, too much heat training at once with speed work at the same time, and you haven't evil the two out, all of a sudden you, you, your risk of injury gets way higher. Your risk, your inability to recover from all those is, is really tricky. So what I do with my athletes, uh, I think is really important is run the course that's in front of you. So if you're training for a flat race and the course you have to run on has hills, it's something you're already acclimated to. It's something you normally do. That's not going to cause extra stress. So go for it. If you don't run hills ever and you're in the middle of heat training, don't add hills at that, at least at that time until you've started well into your heat acclimation process. So the, my next thing is, and this is, this comes around to you because you're, as we said earlier, you're going to be pacing and crewing at Badwater 135 this year. Quite curious as to what, 
what you are doing now for your heat training, but what you're also going to be looking forward to for more heat training. Because if anybody, the, the one or two people that aren't familiar with Badwater 135 that are listening on this, you know, it's in the middle of summer, it's out in the you know Death Valley and it, it will get 120 degrees out there and you're running on asphalt for, for a lot of it. So I, I'm quite curious as to like what your regimen is, but also like how, how does training for pacing differ from training for you actually competing in the race? Like, is there, have you noticed a difference in the way you are approaching it? Um, So uh, it's a lot of communication with me and my runner. We've already had like three meetings together. We go over the map course. Um, He's done about this particular runner on pacing. This will be his eighth bad water. So he knows exactly like what he's doing. And his crew captain and chief is, is also his coach. So they all know what's going on. They're familiar with everything. So I'm kind of the new person, but he's already told me what sections I'm pacing, which is nice because I can research those exact sections. So I know I'll be running, um, picking them up at mile like 42, I think it is. And I'll be running 17 miles gradual uphill climb, but it's the climb up to the top. So it's actually going to be getting cooler. So it's the, even though it's the, the only the biggest climb, climb you know in the race it's also the coolest time because you're going up to 5,000 feet of elevation so that's kind of good to know that it won't be 120 degrees for me while I'll be running so just trying to find something to emulate that around here there is a bike path that I found the along the 56 freeway which is probably what I'll be running you know um, up (laughs) I'll do that a few times in the heat middle of the day and then um, yeah it's really just communication and I've never ran this hot before. So it'll be interesting for me too. I'll be running around my neighborhood fully clothed, but no sauna training because if those that know me, they know that I have lashes and my lashes will melt in the sauna. So it's, it's a big (laughs) San Diego trail joke, me and my lashes. (laughs) (laughs) And how does, Hey, for the record, Jeff, I think the, the, the temperature on the asphalt is at about 135 at the peak times for that's, bad water. That's true. I, 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 I stand corrected. I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It is much hotter. Yes. Cause you are running on asphalt. Yeah. So and much- I'll be starting at 6am and we'll be going up a mountain to 5,000 feet of elevation. So <laughs> got you, you got the lucky, luckiest yeah, draw yeah. then. <laughs> 17 Wait, miles gradual up usually though, the newbie get, usually the newbie gets the worst like <laughs> mid, midday like flat straight up asphalt like they gave you the easiest part right <laughs> or the coolest part sorry i shouldn't the say coolest easy. part coolest yeah. part and then how does that how does that change because and then bad water uh baby bad water sorry baby here, bad water. um mm-hmm. is in san diego it's run by one of our friends daniel smith um and it's out in the east county and it's not as hot, but it definitely is hot. It gets to be about 95 to 105 degrees, if not just a little bit mm-hmm. more. How did, does your, how much does your training adjust when you're doing that? Because these races are pretty well close together, like three weeks apart. I yeah, think, I'll just right? can continue my heat training. Uh, I go three days a week. Really, I don't do much more than that. Two little short runs during the week and then one long run. Because kind of how Jim said, he's like, you know, you got to have your easy day and your hard day. So I don't want to do two back-to-backs long runs in the heat. Yeah. I usually just do one and then the next one's cooler. Yeah. I can't give out all my secrets for baby Badwater though. I'm in it to win it. Come on. <laughs> Daniel <laughs> Smith, you listening? <laughs> there, there is a note though. that I'd like to give people for safety reasons when they start, um, 
getting overheated, it's all about your heart rate, kind of how Jim was talking about before. So one of the first things to do is to lower your heart rate when you start to get overheated. And I noticed a lot of people were just going like just to the wall at baby Badwater, and then they were dropping like flies. You got to, um, you know, I put my Garmin to a, a heart rate. I don't even put it on pace when I'm out there and I make sure my heart rate's at a certain level and I just stake to that pace. And that's how I get through like the heat part. Yeah, you know, you've got to run in your metabolism, you know, mm-hmm. and, a, and a tip to a tip to kind of jag, uh, jump on the back of that, that works really well. Um, having a, a cool or a wet scarf to actually make scarves that get cooler when they're wetter that goes around your neck is one of the best things you can do because you're the blood flow to your hyper, to your brain is what what sets a lot of these things happening in your body, these activations, whether it's your sweat rate or whether it's your heart rate to go up. And so if you can cool that blood as it goes up, it actually slows. I think it's the hypothalamus. Uh, the hypothalamus um, releases and releases the, the the messaging to your your like I said, your sweat rate and your heart rate to that. Hey, we're too hot or we're too cold or we're just right. Um, and so if you can throw that that right over those big blood vessels that are going up to your brain to have cooler blood going up to the brain, it's going to help you a lot. Now, obviously, the, the your head is the high point of your body. Anyway, it's going to be the hottest. So that thermometer, if you can keep that thermometer cool, your performance is going to be a little bit better. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought hot. that up because uh, we actually made a bunch of um, ice. We, we call them ice bandanas. Um, and we sold them right before baby bad water. We had some nice. ghost runner runs and they're sewed a certain way, you know, I can't give you my secrets and how these are made. <laughs> Is it trademarked? But yeah, very helpful. Very helpful. Well, um, well, I, I really appreciate you guys, uh, jumping on with me today and, and talking heat training. It's, it's definitely one of those things as we get deeper and deeper into the summer and we see more and more events pop up. Uh, thank God we're getting back to that, but it is an important thing. And, and it is really an important aspect of any runner's training, whether you're a trail runner or road runner, or just out there to have some fun. Like you should, probably should be doing a little bit of heat training. So you kind of understand, uh, what your limits are really and how to acclimate to that and everything else. So uh, I really appreciate you guys jumping on again and, and you're always welcome to join me again and, and have <laughs> more conversations like this. Uh, I always love your stories as so. Um, <laughs> Jim has good stories too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I get a chance to talk to Jim a lot more than I talk to you. I hear his stories all the time. So. Never um, gets old though, does it? No, uh, for this conversation, I'm saying no. <laughs> Anywho. All right. Well, guys, I, again, I really appreciate it. Uh, I hope uh, anybody who's listening in on this got some information that will help them in their heat training uh, as well. And uh, if you have any questions, I will make sure to put Jim and Isabella's uh, contact information in the email or in the show notes. So that way you guys can reach out to them if you've got any questions in regards to heat training at all. So um, anyway, thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. Yep. No problem. Thanks, Jeff. Stay cool, everybody. All right, that'll do it for another episode of the Trail Life Podcast. Special shout out to Isabella Janovic and Jim O'Hara for talking heat training with me today. Um, I hope that our conversation brought a little light to what heat training is, what the benefits are, and why it should be added into your running program, especially if you're going to be running in a location that's going to be super hot or, or an event that's going to have a hot destination. 
I will make sure to put the contact information in for both of my guests. So if you have any questions on heat training and advice, you know, we'll get more advice on what the program should look like, feel free to reach out to them directly. But I hope you guys got some information. I appreciate you listening in and we'll see you out on the trails real soon. Music for the Trail Life Podcast was provided by the Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. Thank you.